first of our worship nights, and this time we have a speaker, um, Pastor Don Wallaball and Pastor Lori Wallaball. They are the pastors who were over me before we moved to Scranton. Um, so six years ago, they released us. They launched us out. I remember the conversation with them. Uh, just really confused and broken and knowing God had called us to Scranton, Pennsylvania, and they just blessed us and encouraged us and released us, and uh, he's here to share with us tonight. I've, I've sat under his ministry for two years. My dad is a, a, a pastor on staff as, under Pastor Don and Lori, and uh, just I want to encourage you, have complete reception for them in your hearts. There's going to be something good. You are here tonight, not just to worship, but God put Pastor Don here tonight to share something specifically for us. And so if you could give Pastor Don a round of applause as he comes and shares just what's in his heart tonight. All right. Everybody good? Cool. I'm excited, man. I could just listen to that worship, just go on and worship for a long time. These guys are pretty amazing. Uh, I liked them. How about you guys? Come on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm an old Pentecostal, so you got to talk to me, right? Okay. We're all right. But I feel really good about just being with you tonight. I'm excited about just being in the presence of the Lord. We have a promise in the Word of God that when we praise Him, He inhabits our praises. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing because in the presence of the Lord, everything changes. Um, I, was, I was reading just, uh, just some private time with the Lord at one point not too long back, maybe a few years ago actually, and, and uh, I felt like I, when I was reading it said, with God nothing is impossible, and, and, uh, and I read that and I thought, man, that's pretty awesome. The Lord said, read it again, and I said, with God nothing is impossible, and I thought, yeah, Lord, there's, there, there's nothing in the realm of possibility that you couldn't do, and the Lord said, read it again. And how many, you know, if God keeps telling you to read something again, it's not because he doesn't understand it. <laughs> it's not because he might be confused. It's because he's trying to show you something that you might not have seen in the past. And when I was reading that and I said, with God, nothing is impossible. And I, I probably read over that five or six more times. And finally, the Lord spoke to my heart and he, and he said, read it really slow. And I said, with God, nothing is impossible. And I realized that what he was saying was that if I was a man that would pray in faith and believe God at his word for nothing to happen would be an impossibility. That every time we prayed, that every time we were in his presence, there would be, for nothing to happen would have an impossible reaction. It has to be, something has to be transpiring always. Nothing, well, that would be impossible. And I really believe that when we're in the presence of the Lord, and this is what I believe, I believe that every time we encounter his presence, uh, his spirit and his word, right, something changes, something goes. Second Corinthians 3 and 18 says we're going from glory to glory to the image of Christ. What's that mean? There's a constant transformation that's taking place in our lives. And I'm excited for that. I, I want to become more like Christ. Isn't that really the reason that we're here? I'm excited. I'm just going to share a couple of thoughts. I won't be long, probably just a couple hours. It won't be long. I'm just kidding. Okay? Don't, don't get too nervous. But I want to share a couple of thoughts with you if I can. I just asked the Lord, you know, what, what's, God, what are you doing? Can I say this? What are you doing in Scranton? God, what are you doing in Scranton? And it wasn't just, God, what are you doing in City Lights? Because how many know it's all part of, God, what are you doing in our territory? What are you doing in our region? Because I don't believe it's ever about a local church. I don't believe it's ever about just a handful of people. I actually believe that God moves territorially. I believe your geography is tied to your destiny. Your destiny is tied to your geography. Everybody okay with that? 
because I really believe that. And I feel like if you're here, you're here for a reason and a purpose. And this might not be a permanent assignment, but it is for right now. And while we're here, how do we partner? Because watch, it's, and I'll say this, I've been pastoring for about 35 years, right? And what I found was for about the first 20 years, I've prayed like this, Lord, this is what we're going to do. And I'm asking you to come and bless it. Lord, we need your help. We can't do it without you. And then I found that that's probably not the best deal. Maybe the best deal was God. What are you doing and how do we partner with heaven and what you're releasing in this territory in this day? Because I found that finding out what he's doing and joining him is better than trying to coax him into joining us. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all right? Come on. And that's the reality, man. This is, this is a beautiful thing. So God's moving. And, and there was a couple of things that I really felt. Uh, I'm an identity preacher. I preach 85% of everything I preach is tied to our identity. Because I believe that there's a lot of people that are pursuing, like there's a lot of schools. I'm, I'm friends with so many people in different places that have large schools. And, and it's the, you know, like the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. or the Glo- I just taught the other day at Global School of Supernatural Ministry. And I believe there's a lot of stuff. And watch, there are people that are pursuing signs and wonders, miracles. They want to see the miraculous. They want to see the power of God. And I want to see that. But I believe that if I can teach people to walk in their identity, signs, wonders, and miracles will follow that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Come on. I, we, have a, we have a church up the road from us. It's an AG church, Assembly of God church, and, and the pastor and I are really, really good friends, and he's got an incredible evangelistic spirit. He's, a, he's an evangelistic pastor. Does everybody understand when I say that? Like lots of people get saved there, right? And I tell him, buddy, you get them saved, send them to me. I'll tell them why they're saved, okay? Because <laughs> I think we need to know why. why. Why are we here? God, what are you doing? And I think that's a big deal. I think that that's got to be the preeminent place. Is Lord, what are you what are you doing around me and why am I in this place? I hope I'm making sense to you, but I, I preach kind of fast, so just stay with me, okay? <laughs> okay, but I want to walk you through a couple of things that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about for this night, okay? So I think I want to start in 1 John chapter 4, and it's verses 7 and 8, right? And we'll just take a look, because watch what he actually says. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that knoweth not God He that loveth, I'm sorry, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love, right? Now, what I find it's interesting about that is this, that he said, beloved, let's love one another, right? In in, in the gospel of St. John, chapter 13, it's verse 35, he said, by this would all men know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love one to another, right? How will people know that we have love if it's not displayed, right? Because love, love looks like something, okay? So he says, let's love one another, right? Right? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that knows God knows how to love. That's really what he said, right? Now watch. Why did he say that? Because God is love. Did he say that? He said, God is love. Now that's a big deal to me when I think about that, God is love, because watch. He didn't say God has love. He said, God is love. There's a difference between having something and being something. Everybody all right? Because watch, if I have something, I might run out of it. But if I am something, it's the substance of my very being. It's all that I am. Do you understand? He's not going to run out of love. He's not going to be. There's never a place. So watch. He said, God is love. Now, if you drop down with me again, drop down to verse 16 and see what he says in verse 16. Right? 1 John chapter 4. Right? And let's take a look at verse 16 because he says something again. He said, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. How many know dwells means lives in, right? Come on, now what did it say? But here's something interesting. In verse 16, he says the same thing he said in verse 8. What was it? That God is love. Did everybody see that? Because verse 17 says something really, really powerful. Because it says, herein is our love made perfect that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, 
so are we in this world. Wait a minute, what did he just say? As he is, so are we in this world. Now, maybe for the first 15 or 20 years of pastoring, I would have preached as he is, so are we in this world. And I would have said, he's ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. And and we're, according to Ephesians 2 and 6, we're seated with him in heavenly places. As he is, so are we in this world. And I'd get excited about being a place of power or being a place of authority because that's what he called us to. There's a dominion mandate upon man, and I understand that pretty well. And I'd be pretty excited about that. But when I read that and read that, I finally realized what was he saying? He said, God is love, and as he is, so are we in this world. And I realized that it wasn't about being in a place of power, being in a place of authority. It was actually being conformed to become love. That we become love. That we don't just have love, but we actually become love. Because if we become love, then love becomes our only option. Like love's plan A and there's no plan B. <laughs> Yay, that's a good day. I don't care. And in the midst of that, watch, because I think it's important that we understand what he was saying. He was saying that you and I are called to become love. Why? Because if we can become, can I say something? I think we'll love more people into the kingdom than we'll ever preach into the kingdom. I think we'll love more people to Christ than we'll ever preach to them. It won't be our magnificent preaching. It won't be our wonderful worship. It won't be all those other. It's going to be loving people into the body of Christ. That the bride actually becomes lovable. Yay. Because <laughs> I think that's what we need. Yeah. Do you understand that we tried to legislate holiness? I said that out loud, didn't I? <laughs> Come on. I got born again in 1978. Right? My hair was really long. I had hair. Hang on. <laughs> there was plenty. I'm just having a moment. Because okay. <laughs> my hair, come on, we were all in the 70s. We all had that. And it was long hair and everything that was down here used to be up here. It looked pretty good up here. Okay. <laughs> and, and all that was part of who I was. And, 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 I, and I got, and here's what happened. I went to a church. I went with this little girl, right? I met her at a place called Murphy Mart. It was like a small version of Walmart. I was a stock boy. I'd been there for a year. She was a new hire as a stock boy. It was my job to check out the new stock. <laughs> so I was checking out the new stock, right? And, and after a little bit, we, were, we, we spent a little time talking back and forth. And finally, I got up the courage to ask her out. And when I asked her out, I said, you want to go out like Sunday night? And, and she said, well, I go to church Sunday night. And I said, well, don't you go Sunday morning? And she said, yeah. I said, you go Sunday morning and Sunday night? She said, and Wednesday. I said, are you like really bad? Because okay. <laughs> I was raised Catholic, so my thought was that if you go to church three times a week, you must be bad. <laughs> you know? and, and, and it wasn't. It was that she was madly in love with Jesus, but I didn't understand that. But I went into a very small church that she attended. It was a Pentecostal church. And here's what happened. There might have been 35 people there that night. And you know what happened? They all welcomed me. They shook my hand. They told me they were glad I was there. You know what it did? It made me feel good about being in that place because they didn't know me, but they loved me anyway. And they didn't understand me, but they received me. Does that make sense? It felt so good. They were very strange to me because I was raised a certain way and they acted completely different. Like I wasn't used to any of that. I'm thinking, why doesn't that man just stand still behind a lectern? <laughs> okay, but he was moving all over the place. There was a whole bunch of things that were going on around. And, and I didn't understand all the makeup or the dynamics of a Pentecostal service. But here's what happened. When it was time to go, they all shook my hand, told me they were glad I was there, and said, man, I hope you come back. And I felt what? Loved. I believe we're going to love more people into the body of Christ than anything. And I honestly believe that what it said was, as he is, so are we in this world We're called not just to have love, but to actually become love. That love's our only option. That no matter how bad somebody might treat you, or no matter how how somebody might respond to you, listen, 
I absolutely and adamantly refuse to allow the way you treat me to determine how I'm going to treat you because I'm called to walk in love. Does that make sense? Come on. I refuse to allow the way you treat me to determine how I'm going to treat you. I'm called to become love. Right? So we start asking the Lord, let us become more. Come on, because we all prayed this, right? Lord, make us more like you, right? Because that's what we say. We pray those kind of prayers. Those are dangerous prayers. Be careful what you pray for, right? Here's the reality. If I'm asking Jesus to become more like him, and we understand that God is love, then what's he going to do? He's going to want to perfect love in me. But one of the things you have to understand is love doesn't get perfected in you by being around a bunch of lovely people. Love actually gets perfected around you when you're by someone old and grouchy. Don't elbow your husband. Stop that. Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but here's the reality. It's, the, it's not the lovely people that will perfect love in you. It's those grouchy people, the hard-to-get-along-with people. It's the people like maybe your boss that's contrary towards you or something along that line that's treating you rough. What? Because that's how love gets perfected in you. When you can love somebody that's hard to love, when you can love somebody that's hard to get along with, when you can actually respond out of a place of grace and love to a person who's not acting lovely, that's when you're becoming more like Jesus. That's good preaching right there. (laughs) Now stay with me for a minute because I think this is very powerful because we're called to a place. Do you know we were saying, there were 400 messages went through my head with all the wonderful songs we were singing right? Because one of the things we were saying is, Lord, we want more. We want more, right? And we sing that all the time at Harvest, by the way. It's an incredible thing. We sing a lot about wanting more of God. And we say, God, I want more of you. But the truth of the matter, maybe I think a little abstract, but in John's gospel, Jesus actually said, I and the Father are going to come and make our abode in you. Does he say that? Like, watch, because I think about this. I said, Lord, Come into my heart and into my life, right? And, and I asked Jesus in, right? And when he said he's coming, he said he's bringing the Father. And then he said, when, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he shall be with you, for he shall be in you, right? Now watch. When I got born again, I was a boxer. I had a size 32 waist. But then the Father came, the Son came, the Holy Spirit came. I had to make room. Okay, so, so that's my excuse. I'm sticking with it, okay? But, but here's the reality. When I think this way, this is the way my mind thinks. I think, he's already there. How could I have more of him? I think I got it all. It might not be about me having more of him. It might be about him having more of me. Do you understand when I say that? Like, I, like watch, because I, I talk about surrender, because I thought that surrender happened on the day I got born again. I surrendered, right? But I'm learning more and more that surrender might be a process. That I surrendered completely and wholly. But you know what? I'm finding that there's more of me that has to surrender to give him more of me. And maybe every time we're crying out, God, we want more of you. He's crying out, I want more of you. Because it's more of those places in my heart as he illuminates that I'm surrendering to him and giving myself more fully and completely to him. God, take every area, even the hidden corners of my heart. Watch this. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Let's go there. Uh, Let's start around 13. It says, And Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Isn't that amazing? He went to them and he said, What are they saying about me? I think he had a complex. 
What are they saying about me? Am I okay? Are we good? How, do they like me? I don't, I don't think that's why he asked. I don't think he had a complex about what were the people saying. I think it was just nothing but a leading question. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Right? And he said, some say you're John the Baptist and others Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he turned to them and he said, but who do you say that I am? And I think the theory behind it, or at least my understanding of that is, listen, there's public opinion right? Are you going to be led by public opinion and what everybody else thinks or says, or do you actually think for yourself? Do you understand what I just said? Are we going to submit to what everybody else might think, say, or do, or can we actually think from ourselves and hear from the Father for our own self? Oh, I could preach right now. feel this. Who do you say that I am? And what's Peter's response? You guys probably know this. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks over at Peter. Do you understand that when he said the Christ, that was a messianic term, right? That's a term for the Messiah, and they were all waiting for it. This was every Jew would have understood. When he called him the Christ, every Jew would have understood. That means the anointed one, the one from heaven, the one that God had promised, right? It was a messianic term for only the Messiah. You are the Christ, the anointed one of God, all right? And when he said that, Jesus looks at him and says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, Right? That's a pretty amazing thing. He said, you didn't get this from your mom and dad. You didn't learn this in Sunday school. You didn't get this when you went to the, uh, to the temple. This is a divine revelation that you received from God. Flesh and blood hasn't given this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't pre- prevail against it. I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's powerful stuff right there. You know what he was saying? He was saying, Peter, you got a divine revelation from on high. You're beginning the understanding of what this thing's all about. I'm going to give you the keys. Now watch. Whatever's free to operate in heaven, you have the power to call to operate on the earth. Whatever's bound in heaven, you have the right to bind it on earth. What's that mean? He's talking about his authority. The authority that God's given us, it's got, it ties into Luke 10 when it was over in verse 19 when he says, when, when the disciples returned, they, they, they went out in, chapter, in verse 1, but in 19 they returned with joy and they said, even the demons are subject to us through your name. Remember that they said that? And what did Jesus say? He said, don't just rejoice because the demons are subject unto you, but rejoice rather that your names are written down in heaven. What's he saying? You have authority from the kingdom of heaven to operate on the earth. Watch, he says, because in, in, in verse about 19, what he actually says there, he actually tells them from that place, and, and, and you have to understand how excited they were. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. And he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Do you understand what he just said? He said, when Satan was messing with us, he said, we kicked him out of heaven. And now you have the right and authority. If he starts messing with you, kick him out of your territory. Come on. That's a place of authority that you have. You've been given as children of the Most High God. It's a very powerful place. So when Peter is standing before the Lord and Jesus actually says to him, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, can I say this? Is there anybody sick in heaven? Then if sickness is bound in heaven, you have the right to bind it on the earth. Come on. Anybody wake up in heaven depressed today? Like, I don't even know if I want to be here. I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think that happened in heaven today, right? Why? Because depression doesn't have a right to operate in heaven. If it doesn't have a right to operate in heaven, then you have the right to bind it on the earth, 
right? That's your authority. That's the power that you've been granted as a child of the living God. That's what the book says. And there's a place where we can walk in that and begin to flow in that and understand what he's saying there. But now watch what happens. It says that in the next verse, it says, from that point on, Jesus began to explain to them how that he would be delivered into the, the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, raise again. That's a pretty good deal, right? What's he say? He said, I'm going to go through this, but on the third day, I'm going to raise again. They didn't catch that part. Immediately, the next verse actually says, and Peter said unto him, far be, Peter, it actually says, and Peter rebuking him said, Lord, far be it from you. That will never be. I think it's interesting because if we back up a couple of verses, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in this verse, I rebuke you. I'm thinking rebuking God is not a good plan. (laughs) But it's exactly what it said. And Jesus looked at him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. What was he saying? How powerful is that? He actually just said, Peter... When he said, I rebuke you, Satan, he's not talking to Peter. He's actually talking about the demonic force that was manipulating him to think in that agenda. Because what he just said is, Peter, stop it. You are living with the agenda of man rather than the agenda of God. And until you die to your own agenda, you'll never be able to fully walk in this thing. That's a place of surrender right here that he's speaking about. That is simply saying, you know what? I'm not on the earth for me anymore. I'm not on the earth for me. It's not about my plan. It's not about my agenda. It's not about my desires and my wants. God, what do you want to do? And how do you want to flow through me? One of the greatest prayers we can ever learn is, Lord, make me an open gate of heaven. Flow through me and touch the world around me. Let me be a vessel that you can move through. Help me die to myself that I might be alive to Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ who lives in me. What if we actually learned how to die really, really, really well? to this right here because what he was telling Peter is you're still thinking like a mere man I had a guy in my counseling room and he was struggling and I could see where he was playing to his own agenda and I began to challenge him about it and I went to these verses and he said pastor I'm doing the best I can I'm only human I said no you're not on the day you got born again you lost the ability to say, I'm only human because you have a divine God living inside of you. You're thinking like a mere man, but you have a kingdom mindset that God wants to develop in your head. I hope I'm making sense. But there's a place where we begin to understand. So what Peter was walking in at this point, watch, he has this incredible revelation and then he begins to think like a mere man again. Does everybody understand this? And what Jesus is challenging him is, wait a minute, Peter, you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And this is when he goes into the part where it says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. What's he saying? He's saying if you die out to yourself and you come alive, you'll find the reason that you were born again. You'll find the reason that you're on the earth. You'll find the reason that God has you in this place at this time for this moment. When we learn how to die out to ourselves and say, Jesus, flow through me. God, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you, talk like you, look like you, think like you. I want to become more like Jesus than I've ever been before. It was Joyce Meyer that I actually heard say this the very first time I ever heard it, but I thought it was one of the most powerful things. And she was talking about developing her relationship with God. And she said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. I think that's a powerful phrase. Do you see yourself developing in your walk? Do you see yourself growing in your place with God? Do you see yourself becoming more like Jesus? 
we, we got a CD from our church uh, with the help of some folks from uh, professional recording, and it's, they did a really amazing job. But one of the girls wrote a song. It's all, it's all our own music. It's all in-house songs that we recorded. And I felt like this one song, I just keep playing it over and over. But the girl that wrote the song, here's the way it goes. It says, I see glimpses of you when I look in the mirror. We become what we behold, so I fix my eyes on you. I think that's so powerful. I, I want to see myself becoming more and more like him. She got it from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it actually says, but we all with an unveiled face as beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord. What are we saying? Moses had a veil over his face because of the glory, but we don't have a veil, but we can look in the mirror and see the glory because he lives inside of us. Can people see Jesus inside of us because we're becoming more like him? I want to live such a place that people come to know God because they know me. They didn't know God, but they knew me. But they come to know God because they know me. Does that make sense? Because I want to, I want to show them this is what the Father looks like. I think for years, and please, I'm not trying to be critical, but I think for years through legalism and a lot of different things and maybe just religion rather than relationship, we misrepresented the heart of the Father. We misrepresented what God really looks like. But if we can walk like He walked and love like He loved, then you know what? I believe that people begin to see what the Father really looks like when we actually become love. Why? Because there's a dying world around us that needs Jesus. If I was to ask you to think with me for a minute of all the people you know that if the Lord was to come right now, you would question whether they're ready or not. It should challenge our hearts. What are we doing to make a difference there? Go with me to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to walk you through this. I won't be long. Do you know when a Pentecostal says I won't be long, it means something totally different, right? (laughs) Let me go to Luke chapter 10. I want to just drop down verses 25 through maybe 37, okay? I love this. He says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto them, What's written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answering said, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, Jesus answered, right, and said, You've answered right. This do, and you shall live. Everybody see that? He said, What do I got to do to get to heaven? He said, what are you reading the law? He said, love God and love your neighbor. Oh, that's exactly right. Actually, when they asked Jesus about it, what's the great commandment, what did he say? He said, the, the, the first and great commandment is this, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. How many know they didn't even ask for a second? But he actually gave him a second and a third right there, and I don't know if you catch this or not, but he said, love your neighbor as yourself. What's that mean? You've got to love your neighbor and you've got to love yourself. I think sometimes we do better with loving our neighbor than we do with loving ourselves. Because we see all of our flaws and, all of our, and all, of our, all of our mistakes and all of our challenges that we have. But you know what? I've been teaching my congregation over the last five years to be able to look in the mirror and go, wow, you're amazing. And you might say, Pastor, that's arrogance. No, that's not arrogance. That's confidence. If you have an amazing God living inside of you, how could you be anything less than amazing? Amen. Me, me and you agree. Come on. <laughs> Come on. It's true. There's a place, and I want you to see this. Watch, because God thinks you're amazing. How many of you actually believe God thinks you're amazing? You think God thinks you're amazing? Come on, he made you. David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows right well. God thinks you're amazing. Well, if God thinks you're amazing and you don't, one of you is wrong. (laughs) You figure that one out. 
It's okay to look in the mirror and go, wow, you're amazing. It's not arrogance, it's confidence. I'm confident in the God that lives inside of me. So he said, love, love, your, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as, my, as yourself, right? That's a good word, but watch what happened. But he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor, right? Why? Because he wants to know, who do I have to love? Come on, if you've got to love your neighbor, well, tell me who they are, okay? Because I don't want to overdo this thing. <laughs> Come on. I tell the church all the time, you don't have to love everybody. Because we wish to be told, you have to love everybody. You don't have to love everybody. You only have to love everybody God loves. If you find somebody God doesn't love, you don't have to love them. Good luck with that. <laughs> now, he said, who is my neighbor? And, and a lot of us know this story, but let's like a look through it for a minute, and I might take you down a road you've never seen before, okay? Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence. And he gave them to the host, and he said unto him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come again, I'll repay you. Which now of these three do you think was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do thou likewise. It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? We know this story. We call it the parable of the great Samaritan. And one afternoon I was just doing some casual reading, and as I was reading... I read over this story, and the Lord said, read it again. And I read it a second time, and I thought, that's it, man. We got to learn how to take care of one another. No matter what our background, what our culture, no matter if you're Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, you understand? It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Spanish or Mexican or Asian. None of that matters, right? Everybody follow that? Because that's the way I was thinking. And the Lord said, read it again. And I probably read it a third time and a fourth time. And as I was reading it, the Lord said, I said, Lord, this is really good. He said, and the Lord said to me this way, he said, what if we knew all the characters in the story? And he got my attention. Because I've read this for years. And I said, okay, Lord, you got my attention. He said, read it slow. And I began to read, and I'm going to propose to you what I believe Holy Spirit was revealing to me in that hour. Watch when we go back to verse 25, okay? I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 30, right? A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. I would propose to you that a certain man is Adam. If you follow this study of of Scripture, Jerusalem is known as the city of peace. It actually comes from two words, Jerusalem, the city of peace or the city of God. It's the place of peace. Adam was created and placed in the Garden of Eden. He wasn't created in the Garden. He was actually created outside of the Garden, and God placed man in the Garden, a place of perfect peace. And there in a place of perfect peace, he would exist. Uh, But Adam, this man, created in, if you would, that place of peace It was going from where? Jerusalem to Jericho. If you study the scripture in Joshua chapter 6, remember when they marched around the walls seven times? What happened? The walls fell down. But read the end of the chapter because at the end of the chapter, you know what Joshua declares? Cursed is this city. 
And cursed is the man that rebuilds this city. Cursed is the family of the man that rebuilds this city. And at that point, it was known as the city of the curse. Uh, Adam, who was placed in a perfect environment, was on his journey to the place of the curse. When what happened? He fell among thieves. According to John chapter 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the enemy, the devil, if you would. And he fell among thieves. And what happened? They stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. I would propose to you that when the devil came, He stripped Adam of his raiment. What are you talking about? In Genesis chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, they were naked and not ashamed. Why? Because they were clothed in the glory of God. It's called the kabod, the weighty presence. And the glory of God was upon them. But when sin came, the glory lifted. And what happened? Their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. And they went and hid themselves. They stripped of their raiment. They were wounded and they were left half dead. What do you mean half dead? Half dead meant they were spiritually dead but physically alive alive. A certain priest come down the road and he passed by on the other side. I would propose to you that that priest was Abraham. What do you mean? Abraham had a covenant with God. He had a covenant with God. And what did that covenant do? It took care of him and his descendants after him, but it could do nothing for fallen man. And he passes by on the other side. And then a Levite came by. What are the Levites? They're the keepers of the law. Who's the lawgiver? Moses. I would propose to you the next one is Moses, who came and looked on fallen man. What do you mean he looked on him? Well, the law could show us our sin, but it couldn't do anything to make fallen man right. The law could only show us how sinful we were, but it could do nothing for him. And he passed by on the other side. But then it says a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to fallen man. He saw fallen man in the state that he was. What's a Samaritan? He's half Jew, half Gentile. In that era, you were either a Jew or a Gentile. If a Jew and a Gentile came together, they created a Samaritan. What's that mean? One man representing every man. I would propose to you, it's not the good Samaritan, it's the great Samaritan. This is Jesus, one man representing every man, sees fallen man and comes to him where he is. He, he poured in the oil and the wine. Come on, that's the Holy Spirit. And when he poured in the Holy Spirit, he was binding up the wounds that were in man and reconnecting man with the image of God that he was created in. That's good preaching. Put him on his beast and took him to an inn. I would propose to you the inn is the church. He took care of him for a little bit. And on the morrow when he was leaving, he took out two, that's really two denarii, right? A denarii was a day's wages for a servant in a day. You know what Peter said? A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And he gave him two denarii. And he says to him, what? Take care of fallen man. Come on, church. Our responsibility is what? To take care of fallen man. And when we take care of fallen man, we're doing the will of God. When we can love the fallen, when we can love the rejected, when we can love the broken, when we can love the bruised, when we can love the tattered, when we can love those that are hard to love, we are fulfilling the plan of God. He said, take care of fallen man. And I'm coming back. If I'm delayed in my coming... If it takes a little longer, you don't worry about it. I'll make sure you're paid in full when the time comes. Well, if he said a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, guess where we're at? It's almost payday. (laughs) 
I don't know, man. If that don't jump your tractor, you got a dead battery. Because <sighs> there's something about that that really just turns my heart. And I'm seeing this, and I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? What time are we in? Where are we at on the timetable of God? I don't know where we're at on all that. I'm not a gloom and doom preacher. I'm not like, a, it's the last days, and everybody better rebel. I'm not about that. But I am about, let's love people. Let's love them to the place where they want what you got. Could we actually walk in such a way that people are jealous for what we're carrying? that we would actually walk like him and carry the goodness of God so much in us. There's so much in my heart right now, but listen. Do you understand that man was created in the image of God? That if we would look at Genesis 1.26, you know what it says. Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. That if we look at verse 27, so he created man in his own image and after his own likeness created he him. Male and female created he them. Isn't that awesome? Wow, we were carrying the image of God. And then sin came. Do you remember in Luke's gospel, I think it's chapter 11 if I'm right, he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Come on, let's say that. And if you read it, you can read it in a whole bunch of different versions. It never says he came to seek and save those who were lost. He actually came to seek and save that which was lost. I used to preach that and say, man, he came for lost souls. He came after the lost people. No, you know what? What was lost? When man fell, he watched. Before he fell, he was carrying the image of God. But when sin came, it marred the image, and the image was no longer upon man. And actually, Jesus came to restore the image of God on man, that we could actually look like heaven. Whoo! <laughs> I'm a happy Pentecostal. It's okay. I I feel God in this place right now. He's calling us to look like him, to love like him, to be like him. That when, When we're out on the street, when we're out and about, and this is what gets me so much in my heart is this, is that everywhere we go, we have the right to carry the atmosphere of heaven. If you read like Matthew chapter 10, he says, when you come into a house, salute that house. You know what he actually says then? Let your peace come upon it. He didn't say, let my peace come upon it. He said, let your peace come upon it. When you come into a house, salute the house, and let your peace come upon it. What's he actually saying? He's saying the, 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 the presence of God that you carry, the DNA of heaven is inside of you. Do you understand this? And when you go into a house, you're actually changing the atmosphere in the house. That you're actually called to be an atmosphere changer, that everywhere you go, you get to change the atmosphere. Listen, I promise you, man. Well, I, 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 Dad gets a bad diagnosis in the hospital, right? And all the family gathers in the hospital room. And you know what it is? It's an atmosphere of gloom. It's an atmosphere of, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do without him? And dad's held us together all these years. And, oh, my goodness, and now they're going to, and the doctor said he's going to die. And it's a bad thing. And then I walk in the room. Do you know what happens when I walk in the room? Hope just filled the room. Why? Because I have the right to change the atmosphere in that room because of what I carry. So do you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, Romans 8, 11. Come on, we have promises. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in Robert. It dwells in Lori. It dwells in Kenny. I promise you, man, that same spirit. Can I say this? Woo, you got a, you got a little one downstairs. Maybe they, they got born again. They didn't get a junior Holy Ghost. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in them. That's a pretty amazing day. And we have the right to change the atmosphere. Everywhere we go, you carry the atmosphere of heaven because Jesus lives inside of you what if we actually believed that and when we walked out of here onto the streets of Scranton and all around we realized that man I'm carrying something different 
you walk into the workplace. I've had people come to me time and time again in my counseling room, and they'll come and they'll be like, Pastor, pray for me, man. I need another job. Why, what's going on? All the people around me, they're cursing, they're swearing. It's so dark in there. Pray for me to get another job. I'm like, no way, dude. You're right where God wants you. (laughs) Come on. I I do that all the time, man. No way. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray that you shine. (laughs) What? If you're in a dark place, guess what? The darker it is, the brighter your light should shine. Come on. Why? Because we're called to shine. Maybe God has you there with reason and purpose, and you're going to transform that whole place. Well, Pastor, I just want to go full-time ministry. Duh. <laughs> Pastor, your workplace. Come on. You have the right and the privilege. What a, what a, be the evangelist in your job. St. <sighs> Francis was addressing a group of Benedictine monks. It was their graduation. And there, at that place, his speech was very, very short. You know what he said? Go everywhere, preaching the gospel, convincing men of sin. Use words if you have to. (sighs) Do you understand what that said? Come on, man, carry yourself in such a way that people are hungry for what you're carrying. Let the gospel be lived, not just preached. Come on, you'll live better sermons than I'll ever preach. Let's live a sermon for Christ. Let's make a difference. Let's make an impact. Let's get it so motivated in our head and in our spirit that when we're together, our heart cry is this, God, fill us up. Why? So we can go out and pour out. Come on. I want to be so full I leak. Can you be a leaky lover of God? You just just leak on the people around you. Because that's the gospel I understand. It's, It's got to be that. That everywhere we go, Jesus is just oozing out of us people around us like, man, listen, I promise you, before I got saved, I wasn't living well. Drinking, smoking dope, a lot of acid, different things like that. Bunch of people I ran with. When I got born again, I started running differently. And some of them guys would see me, they'd invite me to parties and stuff. I'm like, man, I'm not doing that anymore. My life's changed. One guy in particular, his name was Rob. It was Rob Balsinger. And he actually, he actually came to me and he said, dude, I've been watching you. And I don't know what's up with you, but I need a pound of whatever you're smoking. <laughs> Some of you old hippies know what I'm talking about. Okay? <laughs> but, but, but listen, in that place, watch. What if we lived that everybody wanted some of what you have? What if we lived in a place where people wondered, why are you so stinking happy? What's going on with you? Why could you be so joyful? Listen, can I tell you something? We ought to be the most peaceful, joyful people on the planet. Why? Because peace and joy are two-thirds of the kingdom. Come on. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God isn't meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come on. So peace and joy are two-thirds of the kingdom. If you don't have peace and joy, you're missing out on what God promised for you. We have the right for this. Kingdom of God's not meat and drink. It's not about how much you're carrying on your plate. There's a place where I rest in my righteousness. Come on. I know I'm righteous. If I rest in my righteousness, I can put my PJs on. What do you mean? When you rest, you put on your PJs. What are your PJs? Your peace and joy. (laughs) Come on. You ought to put on your peace and joy. You should be able to walk in that. And the people around you ought to want your peace and your joy. I promise you, man, in a month from now, you'll have one of my heroes in your house. Because Pastor Dan Moeller is going to come and be a part of a, a, a Saturday night and a Sunday with you guys. 
I promise you. You know what they call him? Happy Dan. <laughs> he will mess you up, I promise. One of the clearest communicators of an authentic gospel I've ever met in my life. But he carries the peace and joy of God probably better than anybody I know. It's amazing what God wants to do in us. There's a place where we can do this thing and we can do it really, really well. That's got to be my heart cry. I pray that that's your heart cry, that the joy of the Lord so fills you and becomes so much a part of who you are. I got to tell you this because it's really in my spirit and I, I would violate my heart not to. For years, we did fair and even go out in the streets and say, man, you ought to come to church with us. You ought to come and be a part of what God's doing in here. Somebody needs prayer. You ought to come, man. We'll pray for you at church. And then maybe about 10 years ago, God shifted everything in my spirit, and I began to understand that according to Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the fivefold ministry, and it gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. And we ought to come together here, get equipped here to go out and do the work of the ministry out there. So that it wasn't about inviting someone to church. It was actually out there being the church and grabbing somebody's hands and inviting them to the kingdom to know Jesus right then and there. That we could actually do this thing. We began doing that back in my house at Harvest. So we were close to Hanover. We started praying for people out on the streets and in the restaurants and at the rudders and all kinds of different places. And you know what? It freaked a lot of people out. I remember taking people by the hand in Perkins because because we go to lots of restaurants. <laughs> but, but, but we'd be, in, and, and I'd say, man, I asked the lady, Look, what's going on with you, man? She started telling me about all of her problems. I said, can I pray for you? She said, sure. And I said, give me your hand. She said, here? Because <laughs> people weren't used to having prayer in a restaurant. But you know what? That's our fault, not theirs. Watch. Jesus said to the disciples, as you go, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out devils. What did he say? He said, as you go, freely you've received, freely give. When? As you go. That meant as you go to the restaurant, as you go to the gas station, as you go to the Walmart, as you go, as you go to work, wherever. We ought to be carrying the kingdom of God and releasing it. Why? Because the more you release, the more he's going to fill you up. We have this incredible privilege to make an impact and a difference. But the only way that'll happen is when we become confident of who we are in Christ. If I can get my identity straight, I'm not moved by public opinion or swayed by what everybody else thinks, says, or does. What if I prayed for them and they didn't get healed? What if you prayed for them and they just got loved? Come on. Not everybody gets healed, but everybody gets loved. I've been pastoring for 35 years. I've never heard anybody come to me and say, Pastor, I got a problem. I said, what's my, too many people love me. Never happened. <laughs> no one ever complained about getting loved. What if we became love, went out, loved our community to the point where they were hungry for what we were carrying? God, teach us what that looks like because I actually believe that's what the Lord is looking to release right here in Scranton. I'll share this with you because I know I'm hearing the Lord. The greatest thing you can do as a body, the body of Christ, is to begin to love this community like they've never been loved before. The challenge that's so big in my spirit right now is that we would actually become love, make an impact and a difference there because when we do, watch, over the next two years, you'll see incredible transformation in your community. And I hear God real clear in this right now, that over the next two years, and it won't come from Jesse's amazing preaching. Don't hear that wrong. He's a good preacher, <laughs> okay? And it won't come by the amazing worship in this house because you guys did a phenomenal job. It'll come 
because this, this, the body of Christ in the area, and when I say the body of Christ, that doesn't just mean city lights. I really believe this is a contagious factor, but I believe that as that does, the body of Christ is going to begin to love the community, and, and I don't even want to say this wrong. Don't hear this the wrong way, but it'll destroy the religious spirit that's held this area back, and what will happen is it'll release a presence in this place that God's going to honor and infiltrate in an amazing way, and Holy Spirit is going to have a phenomenal time touching hearts and lives. I really believe that with everything in me. I feel like that's so God right now. Man, I want to I do something. Can you stand with me all over the house? We've got to become love. Man, I, I just need to do this. Kenny, just lift your hands a second. I just need to do this. Man, while you were singing, and I just heard God in this really clear, but it was strong. That the Lord was saying, release the songs that you've written. Release the songs that you've written in the quiet that nobody even knew about, but God was downloading them because the songs of heaven are being released into your spirit and they weren't just for your personal enjoyment, but they were a revelation to the body of Christ. And even in the words of those songs, hearts and lives would be touched and transformed and changed because the songs that you received weren't just for you to enjoy or for you and God to just commune together, but God was giving them to you to release to a body that would bring impact and change throughout so the healing that takes place and the manifestation of the Spirit of God in those songs would be touching hearts and lives, not only on the days that you were singing them in the congregation, but they would actually be because the songs would be rehearsed in the minds of the believers that even on a Tuesday afternoon while they were driving home from work, they'd be singing the song and Holy Spirit would take the seed that was planted on Sunday and, and bring forth fruit of it on Tuesday. So I really believe like there's things that are in your spirit and in your heart that you've held on to even for a couple of years now. And God is saying it's time to release the songs. It's time to put the pen to paper. It's time to begin to give those out and begin to sing those and release those because this is the time that you were born for to be able to begin to release what God has poured into your spirit. It wasn't for personal consumption, but it was for corporate manifestation of the spirit and God's hand is upon you. Don't be afraid. Don't feel like you're not good enough. I feel like you've compared yourself and I'm going to talk to you real plain. It's from the sin of comparison as you compared yourself to others that seemed to be more eloquent or more better versed or had more understanding or more talent and the Lord said no it's not about that it's about the anointing that I've placed on you and I feel like the Lord's saying I'm anointing you I'm raising you up there's a there's an upgrade coming there's an upgrade coming there's an upgrade and you're being upgraded and God's saying it's time it's time it's time release the songs of heaven that I've poured into your spirit man I feel that thank you God there's so many things that God wants to do right now and I feel like this is a time so I want to do this with you man How, how do we become more like him? It's not by saying, God, I want more of you. It's actually from a place of, God, I give you more of me. I really feel like there's a place of surrender right now. I feel like there's a place of surrender right now. I need the young lady that was playing that piano. Is she here still? Who's one of your sisters, I believe. Babe. You, can you just come to the piano and just play something really spiritual? <laughs> Thanks, son. I want to do this. I just feel God in this. I really do. I feel, like it's a, I feel like it's a Kairos moment right now, but I really feel like what God is saying is, man, there's a place where it's not us saying, God, we need more of you. It's saying, God, I give you more of me. I give you more of me. I, I release my heart. I release my spirit. I, 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 every part of me. There's just a place of surrender. There's a place of just saying, God, I am yours. Whew. 
And I'm going to ask you right now, just think with me for a minute. How can I love better? What can I do to love more freely? What can I do to become more like Jesus? And you know what that really comes down to? What areas of my heart do I need to still surrender? Do you know that Jesus never held unforgiveness against anyone? Not even after they crowned him with thorns and beat him with whips and rods and hung him up on a tree. What do you say, Father, forgive them? They don't even know what they're doing. I feel like there's some of you that have some deep wounds from the past. And the reality of that is, is that the people that hurt you, if they really knew what they were doing, they'd have probably never done it. And they probably only did it because they were hurt, because a lot of hurting people are still hurting people. But I really believe there's a place of just giving that over. I feel Jesus in that right now. I feel like there's a place where you could be able to say, God, I give that to you. Is there an area of your life right now? Maybe it's an area of unforgiveness. Maybe it's an area of challenge. Can I say this? I hear this really clear in my spirit right now. There's some people in here that have been offended at God because crazy stuff happened in your life and you said, God, why did you let this happen? God, why did you let this happen? Why? I know you love me, but I don't understand why you let this happen. I feel like it was the death of somebody that you really loved and you were really believing that they were going to live and they died and out of that place you've questioned God and because you didn't understand it became a place of hurt and you couldn't get past it and so you just buried it and I feel like the Lord's just bringing you to a place tonight to really deal with that in your own heart and say God when I don't understand I'm still going to choose you and I just release that man I feel it that's really clear right now there's the love of God that's just filling the house when God's love fills the house, man, things happen, I promise you. And I just feel Jesus in this place. If you're here tonight, and there's a place in your heart where you're saying, God, I want to become more like you. The only way we become more like him is that our heart reflects his heart in every situation. I want my heart to reflect his heart everywhere I go, every place I be. Remember that phrase? I hear this really clear, but it's a phrase I used a little bit ago that said, I absolutely refuse to allow the way you treat me to determine how I'm going to treat you. I'm just going to walk in love because I'm called to become love, not just have it, but become it. Because if I become it, then that's my only option and there's no other choice. So no matter how bad you've been hurt, no matter how offended you've been in the past, I'm overcoming that offense and I'm going to walk in that place. What if we could actually become unoffendable? Psalms 119 verse 165 actually says, great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. What if we could actually walk unoffendable? Philippians chapter 1 tells me I can. It's tied into Colossians 2. It's real. We can do this thing. I challenge you today. If there's a place in your life where you're saying, Jesus, make me more like you. Make me more like you. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at right now? Man, I feel this really clear. This is God. This is really God. Oh, make me more like you, Jesus. I want to walk like you. I want to love like you. Father, right now, you see the hands that are lifted. You see the hearts that are held before you, God. And I'm asking you to just come in an amazing fashion. Let the spirit of the living God fall fresh upon us. Make us more like you, Jesus. Uh, that we could walk like you, walk, love like you, love. Become more and more like you. 
Lord, that's the call that we have on our life is to become like Christ. The word Christian means Christ-like one. I want to become more like Christ. Teach us, Lord, and help us to walk nearer to your heart, to become more of what you want us to be. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. Search our hearts and try us, God. Lord, if there's any place in our heart, any area of our life uh, that we've been holding back, help us to give ourselves completely and fully over right now in this hour to that moment. I'm asking you, Jesus, just come in a phenomenal way. Touch our hearts and touch our lives. Jesus, we want you right now. God, that you would come. Holy Spirit, that you would move upon us. I'm asking you, God, just fill us up right now. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. I'm asking you, God, just touch our lives right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you. Man, there's a place, and I feel it's like the Holy Spirit's just moving right now to to touch your heart. There's areas right now that are being broken. Come on, God. Come on, God. Come on, God. Come on, God. Jesus, we want you. Jesus, we want you. Ben, you want to bring the team back up? I feel like we need to do this. Is that okay? I want to do this right now, if it's okay. Are we good, Jess? Okay. Honey, come here. Something in your heart. You okay? Okay. Come on. I want to do one more worship song with these guys. I I think they did a phenomenal job, but this is what I feel in my heart. I was talking with Robert before service, and We'd met over at Harvest. He had been down. We said hi to each other, but really never had much conversation. But as we were talking, I, I was sharing with him. I, I absolutely love what I do. I've been a pastor for, we, we've pastored together for almost 35 years, I guess 34 years. And uh, I, I might be the happiest pastor on the planet. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I, I love what I do. I love, I love sharing the gospel. I love people. And one of the things that I found is there's incredible peace and joy in my heart. Can I say this? You can't impart what you don't carry. Do you understand what I just said? You can't impart what you don't carry. If you, if you want to become a millionaire, you probably don't want to ask the guy that lives under the bridge. It's okay. If you want to become a millionaire, you probably ought to ask somebody who's a millionaire because they know how to do it. They did it. Does that make sense? If you want to ask somebody how to be successful in life, you'll probably want to ask somebody that's been successful in whatever area you're looking at. I actually believe right now there's a place of impartation of the peace and joy of the Lord. I'm telling you, I feel God in this. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it's Ezra that says, eat the fat and drink the sweet. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're lacking in some area of your life right now, if there's a place in your life where where the joy's missing, if there's a place in your life where, can I say this? You thought in your mind somebody stole your joy, but can I tell you something? Nobody can steal your joy without your permission. You should never give somebody that kind of power in your life. Don't give them that power to take your joy. They didn't give it to you. Why? Because joy comes from a relationship with Jesus. And I really believe that there's something about you and I walking in a place of peace and joy. If you're missing that place of peace or if you're missing a place of joy in your life right now. Man, I feel like there's just a place I'd love to lay hands on you. My wife and I together, we, we might, we, 
might pray together for you, or maybe she'll pray for the ladies, and I'll pray for the guys, whatever. But I actually believe there's a place where if you feel like there's a place in your life right now where something's lacking, maybe there's an area of peace that's just not there. Maybe there's an area of joy that's actually missing in your life. I really feel like the Lord's just moving right now in a place that I felt like this was really clear, that it would be a place of just imparting joy and peace. That if you've lost sleep, and I'll even hear this, you're having trouble sleeping at night, you're tossing and turning, maybe you're even having night terrors. I really feel like the Lord is saying, tonight, we'll lay hands on you, you'll have the best sleep you've had in years. I believe that. I really believe that there's a peace that's going to come on you and settle on you. I I actually believe, because according to the psalmist, he gives his beloved rest. There's a place where we have peace, we have joy, that that even our sleep at night ought to be incredible. And God, we wake up refreshed and brand new. I really feel like that's there. I feel like there's a place where maybe there's just pain racking your body and it stole your peace or it stole your joy. The Lord will heal you tonight. I just feel like there's a place where God wants to release that in this atmosphere. So as they begin to worship one more time, if you'd like special prayer, we're just going to invite you to come. And if not, thanks for